0: One of, the, one of the most famous statements that's ever been made about stuff and generosity came from Jesus when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And one of the great questions of life is, what do you treasure? And, and how do you know what you treasure? And a lot of times, the best way to find out what somebody treasures isn't to ask him; it's to look at, what do I go crazy over if it gets threatened? Um, we live in Menlo Park, and I... I'm not a car guy, I drive a 2009 Honda Accord, but I was parking in downtown Menlo Park where a lot of people are kinda of into their cars and uh, parking lots are very tightly wedged in there and I was backing out a while ago and I, I was real close to the car next to me and then I heard this sound of metal scraping on metal. And uh, it wasn't a loud sound, but I knew I would have to check, so I got out of my car and I looked at on the other car, there was this little scratch, it wasn't a ding, wasn't a dent; was almost decorative. But, but, but the other car, you know, was damaged, and, and the worst part—it wasn't kind of an old beater like mine. It, it was actually an Italian car. Name rhymes with Torari. And so, I, I, I wrote a note apologizing to the owner and put my name and uh, my real telephone number because I'm a pastor and I live there and. Uh, about a day later, I got a phone call from the guy that owns the car, and he said, you know, I appreciate you leaving a note. I just need for you to know that car is my baby, and I have to have it in mint condition. I said, okay, I understand. And coming back the next day, he said, I need you to know I took it to the shop, and that scratch cannot be buffed out. They have to replace the entire panel. I said, okay, I understand. Coming back the next day, true story, coming back the next day, he said, they don't have the panels on stock here. They're going to have to send to Italy to get it. I said, okay. Coming back one more time, he said, this has bothered me so much. I'm going to get a brand new car. You don't owe me anything at all. I said, well, if you're not going to use the old one anymore. uh, You know, Part of the problem with stuff is it's just one scratch away from being junk all the time. And, and Jesus had this really interesting thought about treasure and stuff. And, and he says, you know, don't, don't let your heart serve your treasure, but let your treasure serve your heart. Be real careful where you put your treasure because wherever it is, your heart's going to end up there. And, and, and you can use your treasure to help save your heart. So I want to talk about that. I want to read two texts that are kind of missional texts. They're kind of about what are you going to do with your stuff in your life. And um, one of them I heard a college professor of mine, Jerry Hawthorne, a real influential guy in my life, and he used to love this text. I want to read this to you. This is from the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, where it says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength that you have kept my word and have not denied by name. Dr. Hawthorne used to talk about what a fabulous image a door is. It can mean security or privacy or safety, but he said in this passage it means none of these things. Rather, it is an open door, symbolic of boundless opportunities, of unlimited chances to do something worthwhile, of grand openings into new and unknown adventures of significant living, of heretofore unimagined chances to do good, to make our lives count for eternity. An open door, that's what we live for, that's the great adventure of life. So that's one kind of missional text that I want to talk about tonight, God has said to you, I place before you an open door and knowing what it is is why you're on this earth. The other text is from a real different author. A lot of times at commencement when people are looking for gifts to give, books are a popular choice. One book in particular, whether they're going from kindergarten or graduate school, they're likely to be given the same book. I'll read a little bit, see if anybody here can guess the author. Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. Oh, the places you'll go. You'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing the great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights, except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. All alone, whether you like it or not, alone is something you'll be quite a lot. But when things start to happen, don't worry. Don't stew. Just go run along. You'll be happening too. Kid, you'll move mountains. So be your name Buxbaum, or Bixby, or Bray, or Mordecai Alley, Van Allen, O'Shea, you're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting, so get on your way. Anybody here know the author? <laughs> Dr. Seuss. is exactly right. It's a little embarrassing, but I have to tell you, I like Dr. Seuss. The only problem is when I read Dr. Seuss, I start to talk like Dr. Seuss. Uh, but I want to kind of talk to you about open doors and about the places that you can go by giving you a series of observations a series of convictions about open doors and the first one is this our God is the God of the open door open doors come to me and to you not because of your cleverness or giftedness or boldness or strength open doors are always a gift of grace God came to Abraham out of the blue one day and said congratulations today is your day you're off to great places you're off and away And Abraham said, where are these places you want me to go? When will I get there? How will I know? Will I need a design? Will I need a degree? Will I need other things that you're hiding from me? What is the map for your plan for my life? I must know all this stuff. I must talk to my wife. And God said, no, that would take all the fun and adventure and mystery and faith out of it. His first command is just go. Go to the place where I will show you. Go means you're going to have to trust me. Go means you're going to have to leave your little comfort zone because my projects, which, by the way, begins with you now, involves the whole world. I'm concerned for all of humanity. So you cannot stay where you are. You can't stay here. You've got to go there. Our God is a God who loves to give human beings, including you and me, open doors. And then God tells Abraham why he wants them to go, and this leads to a second conviction. It's all about a single word. It's the word bless. I want you to go bless. And we're talking... Uh, over this weekend about the idea of blessing, blessed to be a blessing. An open door, in other words, is never about me. God says to Abraham, I will bless you, but that blessing is not for you to keep in. It's for you to give out. This is not about your status, your security, your stuff, your ego. You are blessed to be a blessing. On a scale that you cannot imagine. Imagine this. God says to this one man, this nomad, this Abraham, I will bless you and all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. And that gets repeated over and over in Genesis. This is kind of a mission statement for Israel, for Abraham, for me and you. Our mission, our call is to go and bless. Now, to bless is actually a real simple thing. It's just to enhance life. To add life blessing is what God does first time we see the word bless in the Bible is in Genesis 1 where we're told God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, and God blessed them and God said be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas I love the picture of God blessing fish for crying out loud how many fish did God make Many fish, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, not one of them is like another. I don't know why, go ask your mother. But he made them all so he could bless them all. That's his project, that's the mission of God. And then he creates human beings, and we're told God bless them, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge. Be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. God makes a man and a woman, and he says, I have set before you an open door, unlimited chances to do something worthwhile in your time on this planet. God blesses the human beings and then tells them they are blessed to be a blessing to the earth. An open door life, God has set before you an open door, is a life with a mission. Whose mission is it? It's God's. What's the mission? It's to bless. Where? Wherever you go. When? Congratulations. Today is your day. And people will say, but I'm not trained, or I don't know how, or I'm not articulate about my faith. It is as simple as Dr. Seuss. Just go bless. What's God giving you? What's the door that's God opening before you? Another conviction about open doors, open doors start. Wherever you are, just look. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. There was a front page article in the San Francisco Chronicle not long ago about a metro transit operator named Linda Wilson Allen. She drives a bus. And this article, front page of the Chronicle, was about how she just loves the people on her bus. She knows the regulars. She learns their names. She'll wait for them if they're late and make up the time. A woman in her 80s named Elsie had some grocery bags. She was struggling with them. Linda got out of the driver's seat to carry Elsie's bags onto the bus. Now Elsie lets other buses pass the stop so she can ride with Linda on Linda's bus. Linda saw another woman named Tanya in a bus shelter. She could tell Tanya was a stranger, looking kind of lost, kind of... Didn't know what to do, and it was almost Thanksgiving. So Linda stopped the bus and yelled out at her, you're here by yourself, come over for Thanksgiving and kick it with me and the kids. And now they're friends. The reporter who wrote the article rides on Linda's bus every day. He said that she has built such a little community on that bus that passengers offer her the use of their vacation homes. They bring her potted plants and floral bouquets. When people found she likes to wear scarves to accessorize her uniforms, they started giving them to her as presents. One passenger upgraded her gift to a rabbit fur collar. The article says she may be the most beloved bus driver since Ralph Cramden on the Honeymooners. Anybody remember Ralph Cramden? you think about what a thankless task driving a bus for crying out loud can be. Cranky passengers, engine breakdowns, traffic jams, messes in the aisles, gum on the seats. How does she have this attitude? It's front page of the San Francisco Chronicle. Her mood is always set at 2 30 a.m. when she gets down on her knees. 2 30 a.m. to pray for 30 minutes. There is always a lot to talk about with the Lord, said Wilson Allen, a member of Glad Tidings Church in Hayward, California. And when she gets to the end of her line, guys, she'll always say to her passengers, that's all. I love you. Take care. And I was so fired up when I read this article. I think about this woman who drives a bus. I asked her if she would come and talk to the folks at Uh, At our church, I serve a church, the original campus in Menlo Park, pretty close to Stanford. A lot of people that just, you know, want to do startups or venture capital or something. And this woman who is a bus driver stood up at our church and talked about loving people in Jesus' name on her bus. And she was a rock star. People stayed in line. People stayed in line. I'm not making this up. After the 11 o'clock service, people stood in line for an hour to shake the hand of a woman that drives a bus in Jesus' name. And she'd stand at every service, our Presbyterian church, and just say to people, all I do is, Jesus and I just love the people on my bus. Amen, she would say. And nobody said anything kind of like here. And so I had to explain, Linda's from the kind of church where when somebody says amen, at that kind of church, you have to say amen back, amen. amen. And uh, so like for one day, it was really good church. People wonder... <laughs> People wonder, where can I find the kingdom of God? I will tell you where you can find it on the number 45 bus in San Francisco. People wonder, where can I find an open door? I'll tell you where you can find it behind the wheel of a metro transit vehicle. Oh, the places you'll go. Another observation about open doors... Open doors are all about opportunities, not about guarantees. You all understand about this. But in the church, sometimes we get so weird about this idea of God's will for our life and open doors and God, what shall I do? And people wonder, which door should I take, door number one or door number two? And they kind of obsess over it. I remember when I was finishing school and trying to figure out what to do for a living, I I prayed sometimes for hours at a time with so much frustration for a long period God, what do you want me to do with my life? I don't care what it is. Just tell me and I'll do it. And I got no answer at all. And I got so frustrated by this. And I felt like if God doesn't tell me which door to go through, one of us, either I'm praying wrong or he's doing something wrong. And it took me years and years to learn about this. A guy by the name of Dallas Willard was enormously helpful here. That God is more concerned with the person I become than the circumstances I inhabit. That God is more concerned about the person I become than the circumstances I inhabit. In fact, I'll tell you something else about the person you've become. Places like this, talking about generosity and stuff, people will sometimes make comments about how you can't take anything with you. You never see a hearse behind a casket, or I mean a, a hearse behind a casket, you haul behind a casket. Um, I actually think that's way wrong. You are gonna take something with you and that something is you. Dallas used to say, the most important thing God gets out of your life is the person you become. And that's also the most important thing that you get out of your life. God is more concerned with the person I become than the circumstances I inhabit. And that means that a primary goal for God's, of God's for my life is that I develop excellent judgment and great character. And that has some real serious implications about decision making. If you're a parent, you understand about this. If you're a parent, would you want it to be the case that you always tell your kids, wear these clothes, take these classes, go to this school, date this person, choose this major, move to this city, get into this house, take this job, and they always do that? If you're a parent, would you want that? No is the correct answer. You guys (laughs) scare me just a little bit. No. Okay? No. Because you don't want your kids to grow up to be robots because decision-making is an indispensable part of character formation. And God is in the character formation business. Decision making is an an indispensable part of character formation. And God is in the character formation business. And that means very often God's will for your life is going to be, I want you to choose. See, the reality is, when I was trying to figure out what to do with my life, I did not want God's will for my life so much as I wanted to be spared the anxiety of making a difficult decision. Can I get an amen from anybody about that one? I just, I didn't want to carry the weight around of having it, and then I wanted a guaranteed success. That's why in the Bible, so often, it will talk about in the course of decision making, pursue wisdom, it'll say. Not, you know, try to get great spiritual antenna, pursue wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. And Jerry Hawthorne, this teacher of mine, said, I think, John, if you get into Fuller Seminary, you ought to take that as an open door for your life and go through it. And I did. And even then, it was really hard. I ended up in a program to get a degree in clinical psychology, so most of my friends went into doing therapy, and I thought that's what I would do. And I started doing therapy, and I was awful at doing therapy. People would get less healthy as they saw me over time. (laughs) And I hated doing it. And then at the same time, I started to preach at a church, First Baptist Church at La Crescenta, and I felt so alive. I just loved it. And I thought, maybe this is what I'm called to do, until one time I got up to preach, and it wasn't going well, and I started to feel kind of lightheaded. And the next thing I knew, I was laying on the ground. I had fainted dead away. In the middle of a sermon. And there was a lot going on in my life. I was about to get married and we were going to go overseas for a year and I had finals coming up. And so I thought, well, it's all of that. And I came back one year later, the very next time I got up to preach, five minutes in, I fainted dead away again. And, and the worst part was this is a Baptist church. It's not a charismatic church where you get credit for doing that kind of thing. And. and I was just—I was feeling like God. I, f- I feel called to do this. I love doing this, but you—you you can't preach if you faint on a regular basis. It makes people nervous. And um, I, I actually—it's true story. I, I got uh, contacted by the pastor of that church now. It's been well over 30 years, and he said our church is celebrating a big 75th anniversary, and people here still remember you, and wondering if you'd come back and speak one more time. And, uh, Here's the deal about open doors. Open doors are not not guarantees that your life is going to be easy. Another conviction about this. Going through open doors doesn't mean that life will be easy on the other side. This is so interesting. When in the Bible does God ever give somebody an easy job? When in the Bible does God ever call somebody and say, see, I've set before you an open door, and by the way, it won't inconvenience you much. It won't cost you much. It won't interfere with your lifestyle. I was thinking, what a great phrase. Is it the log that's the lifestyle of generosity? But it just gets scary to us, doesn't it? And it's kind of cool. General giving, generous giving, if that's too intimidating, they've also created a day of generosity, dog. Or if that's too much, hour of generosity, hog. (laughs) Or if that's too much, seven minutes of generosity, smog. So there's all kinds of ways that you can lure it but but God never says to somebody uh, go it'll be easy what he says is go and I will go with you he goes to Noah and says I want you to leave everything behind build an ark face judgment ridicule desolation but I will be with you and I'll give you a sign of my presence a rainbow and Noah said I'll go cost me everything I'll go God comes to ordinary men like you and me, Abraham. says, I want you to leave everything familiar, your home, your culture, safety, security, and go to a place that I will show you, but I will be with you and I'll give you a sign my presence, circumcision. Abraham said, Noah got the rainbow. <laughs> really? Like that's the best you got, God? We can do like a secret handshake or something? You know, People will actually refuse to go go through open doors. People will refuse the opportunity for generosity. People will refuse to go on the adventure of obedience to God. This happens in churches all the time. We just get so weird in the church based on the criteria. I just don't feel peace about it. I know God wouldn't want me to do something that I don't feel peace about. When in the Bible did God tell Moses to face down Pharaoh or David to go to Goliath or Daniel to go into a lion's den or Esther to face a homicidal maniac named Haman and have one of them say, yes, I feel peace about that. (laughs) See, peace lies on the other side of obedience, not this side. Peace doesn't lie in God giving me other circumstances. It lies in finding God in these circumstances right here. And by the way, if you've ever gone through an open door and it's hard, if you've ever given sacrificially and it's ended up costing even more than you knew it would, if you've ever gotten discouraged, you are not alone. You are not the first person in the kingdom to face a difficult assignment. And your story's not done yet. Because our God's the God of the open door. Another observation about open doors, and guys, I just got to tell you, when I look at this room, the grace, the gifts that God has given the open doors of a lot of us here in this room is kind of staggering. It's kind of scary. The best way to discern large open doors is to practice with a lot of small ones, because for the most part, open doors are not glamorous and, and they're not romanticized. Mostly they involve just following Jesus. And mostly that means just doing what he actually said to do from one moment to the next. Because every moment comes with the door. Every moment comes with the door. I got a phone call not long ago from a really cranky neighbor. And it was just this very small minded complaint that it was irritating and it was petty. It was just a nasty voicemail. And I was getting all fired up inside listening to it. And then I remember Jesus said, Love your neighbor as yourself. And I said, Jesus, if you want this woman to receive patience and love, I'll have Nancy call her. (laughs) I talked to a guy at a restaurant and he's working two minimum wage jobs to make ends meet and support his mom. And I wasn't going to do anything. And then I remember Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth. And I thought actually our family did. We could just do a little heavenward investing right now. I'm driving in the Bay Area on uh, the expressway on 280, and I'm in a hurry, and it's bumper to bumper, and everybody's frustrated. And then a guy drives past everybody on the left shoulder on the left shoulder of the road, like it really is his road. And he wants to get in front of me to exit, and he's driving a very expensive car, and he actually taps his watch. He looks over me and taps his watch like I am slowing him down. And, and then I remember Jesus' words, get thee behind me, Satan. It's always something. Jesus always said something. I was talking to a uh, guy A uh, friend of ours in the prime of his business life walked away from a CEO salary and position, works now with mostly under-resourced kids from minority groups in the Bay areas. And he said, you know, my income's way down, but my joy is way up. Another conviction about open doors because God's a God of the open doors. If I'm going to live an open door life, I will have to reject the myth that says if I choose the wrong door, I'm stuck with God's plan B for the rest of my life. So interesting. There's a, a guy by the name of Craig Rochelle, he's a pastor at a Life Church, and he's got this great statement If you're not dead, you're not done. If you're still on the planet, if you're still sucking air, if, you're still, if your heart's still beating, God's got something for you to do. And what happens so often is people make a wrong choice somewhere along the line, and then they just kind of assume, well, if I did that, they put so much pressure on themselves, I, I have no more change. The reality is we have this one life, and we have it until it's over, but it goes by so fast. Um, every year I get together with uh, five of us who went to college together. We studied under Dr. Hawthorne together, and we spend a uh, better part of a week Um, and it's kind of crazy, we'll usually do something a little bit out of the box, and a couple years ago, I took them all surfing at Cowles Beach in Santa Cruz, and because we went to college together, I still tend to think of us as relatively young guys, you know, not long out of college, until we're taking surfing lessons at Cowles Beach, and I hear one of our surf instructors whisper to the other one under his breath, well, I guess it's AARP day at the beach today. (laughs) And I'm I'm thinking, I guess it's not Big Tip Day at the beach day today. (laughs) It's a very interesting thing. There's a whole field in social psychology that involves the study of regret, just the study of regret. And one of the most striking findings is the way that regret changes over the course of our lives. Um, When you're younger, short-term regrets most often involve wishing that we hadn't done something that we did. Wish I hadn't eaten that, wish I hadn't drunk that, wish I hadn't asked that girl out and had her said yes, uh, or, or you know so. But over time, our perspective shifts. As we get older, we come to regret the actions that we did not take: the word of love that we did not speak, the chance to serve that we did not take. When people get to the end of their gift, what they regret about money is the costly gift that they didn't give. If you're not dead, you're not done. Moses is 80 years old when God calls him to go to Pharaoh and lead the children out of, out of Egypt. The exodus starts when he's 80. Caleb is 80 years old when he asks God, God, give me just one more mountain to take in the promised land. There's a woman at the church where I work. Her name is Florence Detler. She decided a few years ago she needed a new challenge, so she went on Facebook. She was 101 years old at the time turns out that of the, you know, billion or so people on the planet who were on Facebook then, Florence Dettler was the oldest. In fact, when Mark Zuckerberg found out, he invited Florence Detler from our church to go to Facebook headquarters on a personal tour and have her picture taken with him and Sheryl Sandberg. When the first television with Florence Dettler, 101 years old, went public, in a single day, Florence got 7,000 friend requests. She said she's getting carpal tunnel syndrome trying to respond to requests for a friendship. If you're not dead, you're not done. Abraham tried to say no because he's too old. Timothy tried to say no because he's too young. Esther tried to say no because she's the wrong gender. Moses tried to say no because he had the wrong gifts. Gideon tried to say no because he thought it was from the wrong tribe. Elijah tried to say no because he had the wrong enemy. If you're not done, you're not dead. I think maybe the most famous case of resistance to open doors in the Bible there's a prophet by the name of Jonah. Anybody remember the story of Jonah in the Bible? And one day the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, could you, would you go to preach? Could you, would you go to reach the people in Assyria for you fit my criteria? And Jonah said to the Lord, Jonah said to the Lord, I would not go there in a boat, I would not go there in a float. I would not go there in a gale. I would not go there in a whale. I do not like the people there. If they all died, I would not care. I will not go to that great town. I'd rather choke. I'd rather drown. I will not go by land or sea, so stop this talk and let me be. It's the book of Jonah right there. There's a guy by the name of Abraham Maslow, and he actually wrote about what he calls the Jonah complex, the Jonah complex, this strange tendency that we have to evade our calling, to resist our destiny, to refuse to give the gift that we were born to give. Because see, everybody is born to give. Bus drivers are born to give. The God of the universe is a God who loves to give. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's so interesting. He doesn't say that God likes it more. He doesn't say that we're more obligated to do it. We've been talking about the good life over these hours. It is the good life, the good life. It is more blessed to give, he said. So, here's the question for this talk, something for you to talk about after uh, this evening, what's your open door? Where's God placed before you right now an opportunity to make your life count for eternity, to be about something more than just another car that's going to mean another scratch? Maybe it's like Lisa was talking about this morning. Maybe it's once a day, God, who you send in my way, who can I give some of my time, some of my money, some of my encouragement to? Maybe it's a trip. I think about a friend of our family who took a trip to Ethiopia a number of years ago. Just wrecked them, changed his life, and all of a sudden, money just came to be about. You know, how can I help another kid not to starve? How can I help one more child not to starve tonight? Maybe it's a problem at the church where I serve. A couple years ago, we were facing a kind of a unique financial difficulty and one of our elders was saying, you know, it's going to take us like five years to dig out of this, and I had this thought just immediately when he said that. We live in Menlo Park. For any of you who know, anybody have any idea what houses cost in Menlo Park? It's just insane, and I'll talk sometimes to people at our church that bought a house there, you know, for $30,000 40 or 50 years ago, and it just makes me sick, and um, so, so, you know, we couldn't afford to have a house there, so uh, there's a foundation attached to our church, and, and they own the house, and I had this thought you know, all of our kids are gone now, and we could move out of that house, and we could get into a condo someplace, and they could sell that house, and because we live in Menlo Park, that'd be worth a lot of money, and that could go a long way towards this need, and and then my next thought was, I got to tell my wife this idea, and I called her up, and said, Nance, I'll tell you something when I get home, you're going to hate this idea, I'm not going to tell you now over the phone, I'm just going to ask you to start praying, pray right now, and I won't tell you now, but I'll tell you, but I'll just, you're going to hate this, I'm just telling you right now, when I tell you, you're going to hate it, So she was very curious about what this idea was, and I got home. I'll never forget this moment, and and she walked into the room where I was, and I told her the idea, and her immediate response was, oh, ask me a hard one. Of course, yes. Maybe it's a problem that's going to say, God, here's an open door. Here's something we could do. Maybe it's pain. So often, God uses the pain in our life. Maybe... You have a special needs child and you got a heart for that area of life. Maybe you've been through substance abuse. Maybe it's a mental health problem. Maybe it's a loss. And and that's the open door that God has before you. Maybe it's an area of giftedness. Maybe God has gifted you in some way. You've got a gift to accumulate or a gift to think strategically and God is saying, I want to use that to make a difference in some part of the world you have no idea about. Maybe maybe your deal is just to pray and ask, God, what's the open door you have before me? But here's the deal. The secret of life, the secret of life is not security. It's not accumulation. It's not status. It's not ego. It's not stuff. All that stuff is just on its way to be a pile of ashes. The main thing God gets... Out of your life is the person you become. And the way you become that person is by saying, God, what's the open door that you and I can go through together? And this is what Jesus knew. This is what Jesus did. He made his life an adventure in unlimited chances to do good. And they killed him for it. And they laid his body in a tomb after he was crucified. But on the third day, the father said to the son, See, I have set before you an open door. And they rolled the stone away. Jesus came out. I love the account in Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, when it's writing about the resurrection, it says, So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them, greetings, he said, and they worshipped him. And I've always thought Jesus seems tremendously understated at that point. These women see him, he's just conquered the grave, risen from the dead, experienced the resurrection, and all he has to say is, greetings. There's a great New Testament scholar by the name of Dale Bruner, and he writes about this passage. He talks about somebody giving a, a children's sermon, and they asked the children, does anybody know what Jesus said after his resurrection? And one little girl said, I do. Ta-da! That's actually not a bad translation. As in, of course. As in, what'd you expect? As in, See, I've set before you an open door. And he met with his friends one more time before he left this earth, and he said, now all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so go bless. Make disciples of all nations. Congratulations. Today is your day. You'll travel the world. You'll stand before kings. You'll have absolutely no money and be outrageously happy. You'll be locked up in prison and sing songs for God's sake. You'll be beaten for your faith and count yourself honored to have suffered for the name. So now go, feed the hungry, home the homeless, free the oppressed, heal the sick, love the forgotten. I'll be with you and one day I'll come back and we'll set everything right. But in between that day and this day, oh, the places you'll go. God bless you.